so yeah, I was just saying like that, that rabbit device. You could imagine it was instead of being a rabbit device, it was just a phone talking yep. to your PA, yep. right? And in that case, you would have, um, uh, or some someone who's representing you, right? Like there are websites where, um, like you can shop as a crowd, right? Like crowd shopping and stuff, um, like and undercover. they, sorry, like undercover or, uh, I don't know. Like, like for example, you go, um, I'm, I want to. If if the electricity provider provided us with a better rate, yeah. then uh, we would all swap over to using the better rate, right? Yeah. And if you if you if you act as a group, I think there's a website for that. I think um, um, the guy from yeah, I I, I heard about it when I was working at uh, RateMyAgent.com. Oh, yeah. uh, the guy the guys that are, are related to that company. I think there's a startup that was doing that. Um, and the idea was that you can just give them your bills and then they will find a provider for you. But they have the clout then to go, um, we, we will swap energy providers for a whole bunch of people if they give us a better rate. So then yeah, they can... It's sort of like mortgage breaking. Yeah, right. So they yeah. can negotiate for you. Um, and that, that that idea is interesting, right? So imagine then you go, okay, well, I, my agent that is on yeah. my rabbit phone um, has access to a bunch of providers and can pick the provider for me based based on my criteria, right? So I go, well, I don't want to go overseas. I only want to use a Australian provider and I, I don't want, you know, whatever it is, right? Yeah. But you know, whether whether that's, you know, filling my shopping cart or whether it's getting me an Uber or a taxi or a, or a whatever, Lyft or whatever. Yeah. Like there's, there's some criteria I've got. Um, uh, and if it could learn that, then it could, it could chop around for me. I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's, if like if it was that effective and if it just like it just worked out okay this one's like the better price like the other one could just go out of business like overnight because it's like everyone's like transferred automatically yeah, totally. like it could like so then that's like kind of pretty risky for a lot of businesses um because yeah I, I don't really believe in like objectivity for any business sort of thing but if you think of like what churn is like the business if if there's like business a and business b and business B is just better, and but business A is trying to stop the churn because they know that business B is better. <laughs> hmm. Like, are, are business A actually like are they are they actually helping their customers? <laughs> like, yeah. And the, and the, and the problem you're not in control of is what criteria is the thing using to choose A is better yep. than B. Yeah. So so um, uh, I was hearing that like. Uh, Lots of brand companies are no longer hanging out on uh, Amazon anymore hmm. because they, if, when they're on the Amazon store, they're competing against all the knockoffs, yeah. and the knockoffs will be cheaper. Yeah. So if you're comparing by price, they never sell anything. Yeah. So they and and um, it's actually really difficult to buy uh, like various items, quality versions of the various items because you just can't find them on the store. There's just so many knockoffs on there. Yeah, I've heard the power like things that. Are critical like power devices or adapters like that like stay away of a lot of stuff on amazon because they're just like can actually like harm your hardware when you pl plug it in yeah right like the one the one i saw was just electronic uh components and things so you've got yeah. like this guy had you know a thing that you put two wires into and then you crimp it down to join the wires together hmm. um and you buy, bought, bought some on amazon and you just put them in crimp them down and just pull and they fall apart Right, oh, you went, went down oh, to like uh, Bunnings and got them, 
but yeah. the same thing, rock, rock solid, right? Mm. And it's literally just a bit of metal inside a tube that you crimp down, right? Like, how yeah. hard can that be? And yet, you know, it's just shit. And it's like not, it's just not appropriate for the for the purpose, right? But the, and yet there's no, how do you manage the quality control of that? It looks fine, yeah. right? It's got a bunch had, of reviews. Yeah, had reviews good reviews because they probably bought a whole bunch of fake ones. Exactly, right? Yeah. And you go, it's got five stars, got a bunch of reviews. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? Um, yeah. yeah, and they and I think Amazon try to do the stores try to do something where it's like the only verified buyers, um, like will like can leave, leave a review, review yeah. but all you have to do is just ask a few of your mates to buy the product and leave some fake reviews. Like, it's yeah. like I think with like, isn't there something with like to get on the like top selling, um, it's like the Times, whatever. Like, uh, what what am I? It's the word I'm looking for. Like the best selling list. Yeah. Like you just you just need to like buy a whole bunch of your own books and then like that yeah. spike will then cause you to be on the top of the, um, <laughs> the sales charts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's, it's interesting. There was a website, someone giving a talk on that and they were saying how you can detect that quite easily. Yeah, um, right. And then that's interesting because you can look back at the stacks and see who's done it. Oh, so wow. You can, you can see which... Oh, which uh... Yeah. <laughs> it's... yeah. It's sort of like um, an advertising cost because I don't know how much that would say cost you five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. But yeah, the obviously the return on that might be massive. You know, way bigger because it's you can now say bestseller and you're on the top of the list and so forth. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, sorry, cough, cough, cough. <laughs> no, um, no worries. I don't know. Uh, I'll put a reminder in the channel. Like, busy. After our biggest episode yet, no one wants to come. <laughs> That's it. Everyone's just you know, blown out of the water by it. Um, so, yeah, um, what's going on in your life? Um, well, I'm still just a React developer, going back to being a front-ender. I'm a bit rusty at it, but um, getting okay. some of the muscles back. Um, oh, man. I'm struggling at the moment with just some Vue 3 code, which is like I'm literally just trying to create a calculated field and then like observe it the calculated field and like i need this thing to change whenever the computed value changes basically yeah. right and the um <clears throat> and the computed thing is talking to a vuex store like it's getting a value okay. out of a vuex store and there's just something in that pipeline that's not right and it's just not not updating right mm. and it's just so hard to diagnose and work out what's going on and step through it all it's just the, not, the whole state of that stuff is just so dodgy. So is that, like, that's, that's with Vue? Yeah, that's Vue 3. I'm trying yeah, to okay. use it at the moment. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting the way that... So we're moving our app over from Vue 2 to Vue 3. So mm -hmm. um, uh, using um, GitHub Copilot a lot in that process. Yeah, okay. So you can yeah. literally just like select your code and go, okay, well, what would that look like as a Vue 3 component? Oh, wow. Pretty yeah. sure you just rewrite it like this, um, and it's you know get some things right, some things wrong, but it, hmm. it's it's always, and that's where I'm finding is a good sweet spot for you for um, uh, Copilot is that idea where you've, you you you're having to do something in a language you haven't used that much, but hmm. you know how you would do it in another thing, so you can yeah, write okay. it in one and then go to convert it for me. Huh. Like um, a translator. Yeah, um, I'm also struggling with so so I'm learning uh, Zig at the moment as well. Oh, cool, and so. There's um, a bunch of situations where I'm trying to, like, I know how I do it in another language, and I'm asking yeah. like, GPT or, or Copilot about it, and it doesn't know Zig very well because Zig's fairly new. The new. Yeah, um, okay. And as a result, it 
frequently makes things up. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so that the, it's not working for me in that scenario. Mm. Um, whereas it has worked really well in like Python or in, um, hmm. you know, uh, yeah, TypeScript or Vue, you know, Vue code or whatever. So yeah, so but you know, it's it's it's, it's nice having the. Oh, the other thing I'm really struggling with in that is I use it as a like a plugin for VS Code, uh, for yeah, VS Code, and the I need to I want some delineation between, uh, you know, when you sort of say autocomplete and it goes, oh yeah, you've you've got an object. I know the type of that object. So when you say dot, I know what things should I should put after that, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm used to that being a definitive list defined by the interface, in you know, in, interpreted from the type of the object. Yeah. Right, so it's it's I like documentation. It's like this is what you've got available to you. These are your options, mm -hmm. um, but with having like something that can make stuff up <laughs> in yeah. your editor, right, and no delineation between well, is this ChatGPT suggestion of what might be available, yeah. or is this the actual like documentation you've interpreted from the types, right? Yeah, it'd be really nice if if those suggestions were a different color or something in the yeah. UI, so that I can I can see. Like these are these are known to be true, and these are things that you're guessing is what I'm trying to type, or like or two step process. Like a, the, this must be being done where like you come up with the fuzzy suggestion, but then now you've got some now you've got like a thing to like validate against the strict system. So then you can then you can like okay, it's come up with like twenty suggestions. Then I just need to look up quickly, you know, which ones are real. Yeah. Right. Like why? Yeah. Like something should be doing that for me. Right? Should be like a hybrid. Yeah, I, yeah, this must be like I haven't really studied this sort of stuff, but I just that seems so obvious to me to exactly just sort of because it's 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 expensive to find that to get to the first idea, but it's fairly trivial to verify it. So mm. it doesn't matter if the first idea could be wrong. You just have to then yeah, but now you've got something that you can that can be quick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, th these tools are already providing some value, um, and uh, I think they're they're only going to get better <laughs> as we as people build build on that sort of tooling. Yeah, I still um, have resisted installing Copilot because yeah. I'm worried <laughs> yeah, my it's... skills are atrophied. That's the main reason. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, the skills were atrophied. The, the the original reason was because I felt it was a little bit unethical because you're basically just uploading all your code to Microsoft. And you, so often you sign these forms saying, hey, I'm not going to put that. The code will only be on my laptop. I've got, uh, it's all encrypted. I'm not going to connect to un, um, insecure Wi-Fi, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do this like absolute, you know, I'm going to work in a Faraday cage in the middle of the, um, right. the desert and, you know, yeah. So you mean when you're saying when you're signing your insurance, your uh, employment contract? Yeah. Sort of, yeah, or, or an extra contract. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. you say, yeah, yes, I, I promise I'll keep your IP safe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so so safe. It's so precious. So you know, I'll carry it around in a little diamond box. Whereas yeah. like with this like Copilot stuff, you just like it's like effectively just gone to GitHub's or Microsoft's like S3 buttons yeah. where like just shove. Here's my code. Tell me what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, and it's like. No one's really, I guess if everyone does it, then it's not really a risk anymore, but it just seems like the, no one's not all, yeah. you can't fire every single software engineer because they've all installed this thing. But Yeah, so well, we pay for it and we, um, uh, uh, I think um, 
the enterprise version at least is it's like it has access to your github repository anyway okay. yeah so um and and i think i i i assume it's, it's but, it, but they're training on it like you said zig like how they're going to know learn more about yeah that- yeah so that's there's different things there right so yeah. with, an, with a large language model you've got um the training of the model in which okay. case you'll learn it has to learn you know all these concepts including what my english is and how it works right yeah. um and then once you've got that, you're then asking it questions in terms of, like, given this information, blob, yeah. um, what's the, how should I, you know, clean up this thing or how should I fix this error, right? And then that's within the session that you're, the chat you're having. It's not within uh, the yeah. engine's learnt logic, learnt behavior. Yep. So, so it's, yeah, yeah. There's, there's definitely two phases to that, right? And anything that you've got in a GitHub repository that's public, that's fair game for people to just train their engines off. And, and that's where they get a lot of the, you know, auto suggestion of like, well, people tend to have code that looks like this following what you've typed there. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, um, and frequently it's right. And, but it often does things too. Like um, it's when it's suggesting things to you, it's, it's looking at what you've typed previously in your file or okay. like, so, so if you're following a pattern, so you're doing yeah. this thing for, for the, for each, you know, input parameter that you've been given, you do the same sort of logic, mm-hmm. then it'll just, it'll, it'll hammer that stuff out really fast. Or if you've got something that you're rewriting and you've got it commented out above in the old style, as you write the new style, it keeps suggesting, okay, but you're doing this transformation, right? Hmm. So it's clever enough to work yeah, that right. out. Yeah, wow. It's crazy. So, how, yeah, it's mind blowing how it's able to do that, to be honest. Cause it's, yeah, right. It's like IntelliSense on crack. Like it's just, whereas I imagine like, cause you had a lot, you've got a lot of experience with the C sharp, like IntelliSense, which was like, yeah, would have had to have been like best of breed five, 10 years ago or whatever. But it's like, yeah. did, did it have to, did it feel like the, that system had to like sort of know all the patterns ahead of time? Like, oh, you're doing the get a setter pattern and like. Um, so, yeah. So you're writing a singleton or whatever. Yeah. So with the IntelliSense stuff, like that was, uh, I used to be sharper a lot as a plugin. Yeah. But, um, let's take the, it to the next level. Yeah, the um, and that that allowed me to do refactorings, and refactorings are like just code manipulations that like have code names, code, right? Which have names exactly, yeah. and they have they have a certain pattern to them. Um, that works. That worked really well. If you wanted to do something like you're saying, where you go, oh, actually, I want to write this sort of this block of code over and over again. Like, say, you want to start a new test, so you go test. Like, you would write little templates for mm-hmm. each of those, like snippets with yeah, with yeah. variables in them, and then uh, you could just start the first, type the first thing, press tab. It, it spits it out and takes you to the first parameter, first option. Then you type your thing, and and Resharper had a has a has a language for that where you can define those templates and and then limit things. So you can say this variable here is actually this thing here that I'm going to type in here is actually a variable name, mm-hmm. um, and so I want it to have variable name syntax. Mm-hmm. Um, and can you suggest it to me for suggest it to me based upon the type and okay. things like that? Or or you might say this one here is actually a um, something that's going to be available within the scope. Like you can, you can constrain yep. the, the, what it's going to be You're such that when you, when you tapped that field, it's mm. auto suggestions are much better, yep. um, which was really good. Um, Resharper also had the ability to define um, search and replace uh, mm. based upon the AST. So yeah, you right. could literally say, um, find me all of the code within the code base that has a, you know, a, a function that has a name that has a parameter list where one of the parameters is, you know, a type string and the, yeah, you know, right. like you see, so you could, you could literally define one of these search things and then a, a replace that matches. So you can go now 
define here's a template yeah, grab yeah. that field from there that field from there for the, you know, applying these transformations hmm. and then you can run that over your code base to do massive changes hmm. in a sort of like almost defining your own refactorings like hmm. um but yeah so that was like a <coughs> i frequently didn't need to do that though because I, I tended to just chain refactorings together yeah i really miss oh, having an having an ide yep. that that understands your types sufficiently yep. well that when it when i say do this change it will know what it's doing and do yeah. it so like i'm missing that with zig right like yeah, i want to be able yeah. to make code and go extract method right yeah and it should just do that yep. like every language should have that by now yeah right and um, and i often find like a, like vs code has got plugins to do that sort of thing. And I yep. find that most of the time that's fine. But on my view three template I'm currently using, I tried to do it and it would, yeah, right. no refactoring's found, right? I'm like, uh, oh, it's the same language yeah. in a different context. It should yeah, just work. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's just JavaScript. If, if, yeah. It feels like, you know, that old thing of um, if you had SQL inlined in your code, then the syntax highlighter wouldn't know what to do with it because you yeah. had it inside a text string, yeah. right? And you'd go, oh, yeah, I, I don't know, that's text, right? And you'd go, no, 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 that's that's SQL, <laughs> right? So yeah. nowadays, they can, they're can they a bit smarter and they can go, oh, well, actually, I can see that that thing you've got inside that is SQL, mm -hmm. right? Love that, right? But as a result, like, you should be able to go, okay, well, I can do my SQL refactorings on that SQL and I can yeah. do my, you know, yeah, yeah. my huh. whatever refactorings on yeah. the outside and so on. Like, huh. I don't know, just... Um, yeah, it feels like there's an abstraction missing there. Like the, the I think the, the what do they call it? The language services? Uh, the language servers? Yeah, do you have language services running for each of the languages that you use and your IDE hooks into those? Um, and I think those provide refactorings, like they can provide refactorings. I think I haven't, they've never really explored the docs or um, I've never written yeah. one because they sound so complicated, but there's a yeah. lot out there. So there must be, there must be um, mustn't be too complicated. But yeah, yeah, I think they you just expose. This is sort of an interface, and you just you just opt into the bits that you want. Yeah. So at, at some point, there's going to be some sort of abstraction where, like, you, you're not having to re like for every language reinvent the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. I, I hope that language is in JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But VS Code is obviously. I think you have to write the these language servers in JavaScript. Maybe. Or maybe they're just sort of. It's more just. Jason. No, I think I think that there's a, there's a, a protocol. Yeah. So, so you can write it in whatever you like as long as it runs as as long as it serves that protocol. Yeah. Okay. I think it exposes a port on your machine and the ID oh, is right. talking to it. Why I think, hell? but I don't oh. know. Could be. <laughs> is a beast. What it's doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The state of uh, development tools, but it constantly feels like. Development tools are taking steps back. Like you, you go forward, then it comes drops, yeah, jumps back. Right. Just so you go, oh, there's a new thing, and then go great. Now it doesn't have all of the support that all of the other things have got. Yeah. So I can jump to the new thing, but now I've lost. Like I feel like I've lost my arms and legs, and I have to start yeah, again. Right. Right? It's just really frustrating. Maybe um, that's why I'm not, yeah, not adopting these copilot things. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, because so I don't, I don't really use any of that refactoring stuff. It's interesting. I just always do it manually. It's Crazy yeah. Kind of paste. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I I found with, I got, I got so good at it in, uh, in Resharper that the code base felt different. Like it felt <laughs> like it was Play-Doh. Yeah. That I, I was able to just go. Oh yeah. Okay. I can see what's going on here. This code that someone's written. You know, it's really like 
got two abstractions inside there, right? And you could just yeah. select code and go move that to a method, move that to a method, right? Pull, grab those, pull those to an interface right now, grab those, pull that out as a base class right now, um, change that base class inheritance to uh, uh, composition, right? Hmm. And like, so, so you just do these things and suddenly you've got, now I've got, you know, the, the thing and a plugin for it. Right, and now I can write a different plugin that implements the same interface, and it, and it works right. There's, mm. And that was, you know, just a few minutes of just of, of literally just a refactor, 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 refactor. Um, yeah, because yeah. we, I'm not, I'm. It's because obviously, code, all codes is, uh, or most codes is text. So I'm just at the level like doing text operations, where you're yeah. sort of at the next level above. So, yeah, that's yeah. it. Because you're you're acting on the on the AST directly, right, rather mm. than on on the the text representation you can see on the screen. Yeah, um, yeah, and of course to do that, right, the tool has to literally parse all the code you've got, make a make a tree out of it of, of what it actually means, and then when yeah. you're applying your transformations, go well, what, what would that mean as far as changing the tree, and then convert it back to text and put it back on the screen again. Right? And, and I had, um, but I think there's some project I think it was maybe Swift, and maybe some other project. They have to be able to pass the AST. They have to be able to pass not perfect ones. They have to be able to pass. Yeah. Um, input that's yeah. incomplete. Yeah, which is like yeah. So like, like tree sitter, right? So the the idea yeah. that you've got a parser that goes, well, I know I had this. This wasn't working, right? But you've made yeah. a change here, and that's that's no longer valid. Yeah. How do you how do you interpret that in terms of you know code like anything below that in the text file is effectively not valid anymore? But you can think of it in terms of oh well, that bit's not valid within that block. The rest of it's the same as it was. So. The tree's fine, but that bit's a little bit different. Yeah. You know? And they do that with you're constantly doing that with syntax highlighting. Yeah. Right. So like you're always yeah. doing it already. Yeah. Right. So that so then uh, you know, ten years ago or more, God no, much more than that. I don't know, twenty years ago, that people started talking about having um uh editors that were effectively a projection of the of the AST, hmm. right? So that you're not really typing text, you're you're modifying the AST directly. Um, yeah, and, right. and then also effectively everything you type gets converted into a thing that updates the AST and gets applied as changes okay. and then rendered back again, right? So um, I think they're called the structural editors. I think that was what it okay. was. So you were much more limited in what, what you could type where because it wasn't just a text file you were looking at anymore. It was literally like a tree structure effectively. So it's like, um, it's not... and, and that has so much, makes so much sense yeah. as far as what you're actually trying to do and the power it should unlock. Yeah. But it's actually quite inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> Not being able to just type what you want and have yeah. it be accepted accepted as valid code. Yeah. Or invalid yet, you know. Yeah, I guess yeah. it's a it sounds a bit like Lisp is obviously something like fairly restrictive, but it's you'd probably want a bit more syntax sugar than that. Yeah, it's that. just it's just that so often, you know, you'll you'll grab some code from somewhere else, cut and paste it in, and then yeah. change it to make it right. Yeah. Right? Things like that you can't do in a structural editor because because mm. if you copy and paste it from somewhere else, then you have to like pick the scope you're copying. Once you've got it in, yeah, then yeah. it's got all the same names as the previous thing, so that's not valid. So like you've got, you know, so there's, yeah. um, or maybe, I don't know, yeah. But interestingly, though, mm. you could, if you think of it in terms of having a structural editor that you're making changes to, then you could think of your editing process as um, a process of either refactorings, which are uh, transformations of that tree structure into an equivalent tree structure that ha behaves the same, right, but has some different abstraction, uh, or 
um, mutations where you're literally modifying something to add a function or remove a function or rename a thing. Well, rename's a function, refactoring. Anyway, you know, add, add or remove stuff or modify lines of code, right? Insert lines of code. Um, you can think of all those things as like a stream of changes that you're applying to some concept of what the code is. This sounds like uh, functional programming, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like, 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 or, or database migrations. Yeah, right? yeah, you yeah, have yeah, idea yeah. That You've got a database yeah. schema and you yeah. apply migrations to it yeah. to move the schema on. Right. I just um, I thought it was just ironic that you're it's, it sounded like you're um, creating this stuff like with ReSharp that sort of and like pattern matching on ASTs and stuff. Yeah, it sounds like functional programming, but then you're using it to update being applied object to code, orientated yeah. code. It's like, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I do think of these things. I do think of um, yeah, these things as as, as deltas or transformers, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, but I've had this picture in my head, right? If you've got your code base, you've applied transformations to it, right? And then what we do is we take that, convert it to text and shove it into a version control system, right? Mm. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, well, why not version those transformations that you applied, right? Yeah. And then then when you when somebody else, like if, say, I rename a class, right, and separately on another branch, you've started using that class, yeah. right? Currently with text files, those two things don't, don't, um, yep. overlap each other, so they're not a conflict, so they both get committed, they both get merged into a master, uh, and then they don't work, because I renamed the class that you used, right? Yep. So um, so then you get your, your build crash, and you have to go and solve it, right? But if those two things were uh, refactorings that were both being applied to the code base, you'd added a, a new new use of a class in, and I'd renamed that class, those should both be applicable, and either, like, and either it'll complain that you're, you know, it, yeah. Anyway, theoretically, you could merge those in such a way that it, it allows you to use a class and me to rename the class, and it still works, right? It's, Do you know what I mean? It, well, it's funny to me. Yeah. Maybe realize I don't, I'm over vastly oversimplifying here, but it's like CI that runs on like your GitHub repo or whatever. It's just verifying that the loosey goosey text that you wrote is like actually valid. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whereas it could all be stored in a valid AST and then you know it's valid. Right? Yeah, and then when the build breaks, it's like, oh no, it turns out that loosey goosey text I wrote was invalid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. There's um, there's a there's a, a language called Unity, uh programming language called Unity, where the uh data store that you're adding to isn't uh, isn't text. It's a, it's a an ob it's a repository of your code. Um, and it um, and they do a thing where for every function that you define, they they anonymize it, get rid of all the names oh, right. of things, and then they um, hash it, and then they store it under that hash. Hmm. Uh, and wherever you call that function, they they you call it by a hash. Yeah, wow. Which means that um, uh, it means it, it that your whole code base kind of works like a git git repo in that in that you've got a single hash at the top of your code base that represents your entire code base and it represents a specific version of your entire code base <laughs> yeah. right and the reason the way they're using that is that they go um i want to run this bit of code on another machine yeah so you can say to another machine run this function right and effectively it says run this hash with these parameters um, and that code base goes oh i don't have that hash um can i have that 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 function please right and it'll and it negotiates back and forth going give me the hashes i haven't got wow. until it's got the entire code base and then it runs it right or at least it's got the code base it needs for that function you asked and everything that that function calls right hmm. um, and you know it's going to run exactly the version of the code that you asked it to run on yeah. the remote machine because you know it can't not right hmm. um the interesting side effect of this too like it's a it's a pure functional language that hmm. um which means that um if you're giving it the same inputs, you should get yep. the same outputs, which means that all methods are memoizable as well, 
right? Yep. Um, which means that unit tests, which are defined as, you know, run this function with this code, I should and test that the output equals this thing, are also memoizable, which means that yeah, once right. you, right, for, for a given shard of a function, it's mm. never going to return you anything else, which yep. means that once you've run that unit test once and it's passed, it never needs to be run again. Yeah, right. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, right? That's awesome. so, so isn't that interesting? Now imagine a build machine where you not only go, look, this, these are my tests, but you go, and you don't have to run them because they've all been run before. Right? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, just, yeah, it doesn't have to do some tricky thing of like, imagine how a lot of the existing optimize, you know, oh, I want to make the build faster. It's like, I have to work out the modify, modification timestamps on every file. And then like, okay, it's imported this module. So I have to, or like imported this file. So I have to like walk all through that crap. It's like, it, you've already sort of, you've already done all that work ahead of time. So then it's just like, yeah. okay, this, this thing's new. I'll just run that one. Yeah. So I mean, imagine, so I used to work in a, a medical device and we were, um, uh, always looking at how can we build make make things go faster right and the whole idea of justifying that your code is working for a medical device is to to accumulate enough evidence that it works right hmm. probabilistically so, yeah yeah uh well i mean you know we've got all the a huge team of manual testers we've got a whole bunch of automated tests we run yeah. you know we, we had a whole hierarchy of you know of testing right going on yeah. but um but for any for any of those test results to be valid, you had to prove that they were the right test. They were the test results on the right version of the software in the right oh environment, and so on. Right. So, so, but but it made, it got me thinking. Right. Well, okay. Well, as as long as I can prove um, equivalence between environments, then you can say um, I've already run run those tests on an equivalent environment. Therefore, there's no point retesting those on every other possible environment. Hmm. Right. Um, so as long as you can justify that equivalence. So, but the same thing is true with unit tests and things, right? If I run them on my dev machine and my uh, and my dev machine is a sufficiently equivalent environment to the environment that we care about, mm -hmm. right? Then I should be able to use the fact that my tests passed as evidence and not have to run them again, right? Hopefully. So if you imagine yeah. every test that ever gets run on any dev machine, yeah. if it was to collect that onto some server somewhere, then you could say, right, well these tests have already been passed. Which ones have which ones haven't been run yet, um, and therefore run things faster. Yeah, it reminds me of that meme that's like the it's from some movie, like a little boy, and then there's like an adult like with his hand arm around the boy, and it's like it works on my machine, and then the, the adult's like, "Well, we'll ship your machine to production." And then, and then it's, I think it, I'm not sure if it's the same meme or it's like a variation. It's like how Docker was born. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so I was thinking that, right? So that we did lean lean heavily on like virtualiz virtualization and Docker and stuff like that hmm. to be able to go, oh, this environment is equivalent to that environment. Yeah, right? wow. Because if the underlying hardware changed, you wanted to be able to say, well, okay, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's still the same medical device. You know? Yeah, well, I'm definitely uh, trying not to bring up WebAssembly too much because it's my area of interest at the moment. But I think that I think that is one of the compelling parts of web assemblies that you can, it's kind of crazy. Like you can literally the same web assembly module, run it on ARM, run it on Intel, run it on a Raspberry Pi, it would be exact same output. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, absolutely. It's um, it's uh, I agree with you. I think there's some, there's a sort of game changer element to that. Um, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. I am. Um, 
Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't know where that's going to go. I think, yeah, I like you. I think there's so many possibilities. <laughs> that's why I, I don't know where it's going to go. I can see the possibilities, and that's why I'm sort of <clears throat> trying. I'm working on stuff to like help, even if my project doesn't go like take off. It's like I've contributed some ideas, like so, and or yeah. or also I think I I've learned a lot of stuff along the way. So if my project doesn't win, but it's a similar project that's yeah, you'll be able to just just mentally switch over to it easily. Though. Yeah, I, I, I've sort of, oh, I've already learned a lot of that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the thing that's that I'm still, like, stuck on with uh, WebAssembly is just, like, the fact that you, um, you need to start from scratch in defining, well, what, what are my, um, how am I going to represent various things in memory? Yeah. So, so, um, and, 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 like I think they're called. There's like, uh, what is it? B. There's a three-letter acronym that has a B in it that represents like um, how binary something notation. ABI. Binary. Yeah. What was I say it again? A ABI. Oh, ABI. Okay. Yeah. So it's like um, your API is like the interfaces, and then the ABI is, I guess, it's usually like the there's a still a interface, but it's like a, at a lower level. So it's like if I'm got some C code and then I compile it and I got some other C code and they compile it and they like talk to each other. They've agreed on the like semantics of, Hey, this register is used for the stack and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. When you pass an argument along to make a call to a function, you're going to affect this register in this one. Like, cause if they didn't agree on that stuff, then none of it would work. So yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. So, you know, everything from, is it little Indian or big Indian through mm. to, you know, okay, are, are we going to put a zero at the end of our strings to say that's the end of the string? Or, like, what are we going to do? Right? Yep. Zig's gotten this interesting idea of slices, yep. which are like arrays. So you have, like, a, and effectively they're a pointer and a, and a length, so they're uh, grouped together. So that whenever you pass it around, you're not just saying this is where it starts, but you're saying this is how long it is. Hmm. Um, and uh, that's interesting. Like, But, again, like, for that to work, um, you would have to, like, define that as something that you're, you're willing to accept in your binary format and like these this top two numbers together mean something uh, and know how to interpret it. Um, with, with WebAssembly, yep. if uh, if you've got two different WebAssembly components, yep. <clears throat> surely, uh, and if you pull a pass information from one to the other, I'm assuming one of them writes into some memory and then it passes the pointer to the other one so that you can then access that memory? Yeah, you've got the... So the, I don't know enough about WebAssembly 2.0 to know that working on this thing called the component interface, which is trying to set up all this stuff. So it's not so low level and it's more, you can just sort of glue them together and you've got this sort of um, garbage collection, uh, the ability to do garbage collection, which for what they had to design, like it exploded in scope. So then you had to like, okay, yeah. if I need to garbage collect objects or like things, well, I need to some way to define those things, and then like, oh, I've got these different kinds of things, and so they had to create that whole system. But in yeah. terms of like 1.0, you've basically got the host, which is like the yeah. puppet master, and it's like dance puppets dance. So the two yep. WebAssembly modules are dancing, and then it's up to the host to sort of do the um, boilerplate uh, to work the glue between them. So okay. Normally, I think that each WebAssembly module, if it wanted to, or like instance, um, if you think of the WebAssembly module as the class, then you sort of like you created, you instantiated into an instance. So like normally they yeah. have two different memories that 
yeah they are in their own memory but you can like yeah. sort of like make the memory public from one and plug it into the other it's not a pattern i've ever tried because it sort of sounds kind of risk prone. yeah right okay yeah because it's so yeah okay uh that's the bit i was uh i'm unclear on in my head too and that's yeah oh go ahead no, but I can imagine if two processes wanted to talk, then they could define some buffer that yeah, but it, it's just a big and array of it's just a big array of bytes. So it's not exactly yeah. um, uh, very expressive. <laughs> so you, no, you agree. So you then have to have some con convention on top of that that says yeah. this is how you need to read and write what I'm what I'm typing here. Exactly, and yeah. so I don't know. I really want to get a more um, uh, more done on the old project, but my initial idea. And there's like stuff for like CGI bin and stuff. Like I'm sure there's prior art that's done it all before. But my idea is to use web formats. So like you've got the URL, we've got URL query parameters, you've got um, whatever the hell it's called, like the form data, like the there's the sort of yeah. multi-part one and then there's the simpler one, which is sort of just like URL query encoding. Um, okay. You've got CSVs, like you've got these sort of like webby formats that are designed to like be sent over the network. And so it's like, mm. it's not the most efficient or it's like not the most optimal, but they're like universal. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's, that's what I'm kind of wondering. Like, it seems kind of weird. Like, oh, the WebAssembly module gave me like some, this query string. <laughs> it seems a bit weird, but I think it like, if your host like will have support to be able to pass that stuff. And it's like really yeah. well known how to, to deal with those sort of formats. Yeah, I, 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 I get um what you're saying i think there's um uh there's a there's a it sounds like you're trying to skirt the line between um i, I know you're a you're a strong believer in standards right and yeah. saying well there's these various standards that have been around for forever right and they're not changing and the uh, are anything, yeah anything you build on top of those will just keep working yeah. right um but uh at the same time i'm worried about um like that weird thing we've got now where you where you know, every, every app is pretending it's a document so that it can work yeah. inside a virtual machine that, you know, like knows how to render documents to a screen. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, and that's just a, a common, uh, that's like a whole bunch of stuff built on top of an abstraction that wasn't really the right abstraction for what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my, my fear with what you were saying is that you're going, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to use URLs as a way to pass data backwards and forwards because yeah. it's a, it's a known thing, but it's not actually what I'm trying to do. It's just a, happens to be similar to what I'm trying to do and yeah. it's known. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can, you can absolutely build things on top of known abstractions, but you might end up with HTML again, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah. HTML is both beautiful and a bastard of a language. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it's, um, I mean, part of it's cause I want the WebAssembly stuff. I do probably ideally want it to run the browser and the browser gives you a lot for free and yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Like some of the decisions that you get the free, the thing that if you choose what's for free, the decision that they've made, you might go, this sucks. <laughs> but it, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess I'm probably leaning more towards like just, uh, yeah, that's my de facto. But like there's stuff with like forms, like old school forms, um, like from the 90s, if you do like method equals get and have like an import name equals... Yeah q or whatever and then you submit yep. the form it like changes the url for you Ta-da! like it's like it just works no javascripts and it just <laughs> yeah so like that there's an example of like the url being used as for to capture the state 
And then yeah. if you do method equals post, it does the, the other format. Um, yeah. And you can opt into multiplied if you want. So like, I kind of want to use, I kind of want that stuff to be for free as well. And so yeah. um, my web, so when you submit the form, it could just go, here's the data. The browser just sent me this data here, WebAssembly module. And it's like the WebAssembly module already knows how to speak that. Yeah, right. So that that's it might be a bit of a crazy idea, but that's that's what I want to explore. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So the, the problem you're solving, I think, so yeah, yeah. So the problem you're trying to solve is literally like interprocess communication between these WebAssembly bits components, right? It's. Um, Are you trying to pass data backwards and forwards? Yeah, you need to pass data back and forwards in a way that's robust. I don't yeah. want to invent my own format. That's just a waste yeah. of time. Um, Sure. And it, and okay. it needs to cool. be something where no matter what host language you use, it just knows how to do it. You might, yeah. you know, some languages might need a URL library, but for the most part, like it's built in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. And you don't want to just define your own uh, ABI that goes, like, here's a bunch of standard like lists and then strings and whatever's. Um, yeah, there's there's a there's lots. Of, to use it. Yeah, there's lots of um. What's the one called? There's so many of these different formats. Like there's um, Proto Buffer, obviously, but then there's one. Yeah, what's it called? Not Flat Buffer. Oh, Captain Proto. Got the most silly name. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, go on. It's the. I think it was one developer who was working at Google or something like that, and they. Yeah, here it is. Kenton Varda was the primary author of Protocol Buffers version two, which is the version that Google released as open source. And so he released yeah. that and he's like saying, Captain Proto is the result of years of experience working at Protobuffs, listening to user feedback, and then thinking about how things could be done better. So I'm going to try and get this right, but it's, they advertise like a um, encoding time that's infinitely faster than protobuf because you basically <laughs> just take the i guess your c struct layout and then just get that pointer and then that's the encoding right okay which seems like which would be like normally the most insecure stupidest thing to ever do but they um sure they do it so i think yeah it's little in little Indian by default. So if you on a big Indian CPU, you just have to flip them over. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, that, that that his website I'll put in the show notes. Um, yeah. Get, right. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been using um, uh, been writing tile servers that return the tiles of of um, of vector data to a browser to put on a map, <laughs> uh, like a Google Google Earth or Google map type thing. Um, and um, yeah, so we've got this file form MVT, uh, mm. which is proto buffed as well. So I've been playing with proto buff a fair bit, but it's, it's, um, it's interesting. It's it, cause it's all binary. So it's, it's, so it's all uh, impossible to read unless you like encode, unencode it all somehow. Right. You so need the Rosetta to... stone to, to decode it. Yeah. You? yeah Cause you need to know yeah, right. those different offsets are. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so like if you're using a standard one, then there are sometimes tools that know how to read that standard format, but, um, yeah, but it, it makes things tricky. Um, yeah, interesting. I'll have to look into that because, um, like the whole reason I'm using all that product buff is just speed. Like mm. I'm, I'm just trying to get 
you know things <coughs> to the browser as fast as possible. Hmm. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. There's a million formats. Like, so, so there's a new format whenever there's a new JavaScript library. It seems so. Um, I'm sure they're all doing similar things, but um, yeah. I, to be honest, I don't know enough. I don't have enough hands-on experience, but yeah, they're, they're interesting to read about. Um, yeah. I just thought I'd quickly ask you. I'm wondering if we may possibly make this two episodes. I just had a, uh, the Rabbit R one thought. Um, the so you saw the video, and like, and then you saw I forget what they call it. The the ability basically for it to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, how do you think it's doing that? Because it seemed like if I was to implement that, I would be scraping a site website pretending to submit forms and shit and then like have some cookies and then like remember the cookies and like I was wondering like are they do they basically like have a headless browser in the background or like are they doing something yeah, very so simpler? It, it looked it looked to me like um they're using a browser plugin that knows how to record what you're doing. Yeah, okay. So that's that's the same as as recording an automated test using yep. your browser. Um, and then they, effectively that will generate some sort of script, right? That's like, go to this URL, click on this button, yep. um, that's named this, you know, and so on. Right. And, th and then there, I think they're then submitting that script to the, to the engine and saying, here is an example of me doing this thing, yep. generate me a generic template for this thing right, yep. under the covers. Right. And yep. then it's going, okay. And it's, it's replacing various text you typed with variables, like, where to insert the row, and then that becomes its own little function that it then adds to its list of things it's able to do. Yeah, it's just to go back to your um, your like sort of macros within C sharp and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> select select the text, going insert variable, and then boom, yeah, boom. it's crazy. Yeah, end up with yeah. So um, I, I wonder how it's is it um, how is it? Yeah, so is that that that's the first solution that i've sort of thought up so it's like yeah i don't how if it's going to work with all these different services like it just seems a bit fragile like how do you know like you're okay trained it to log into spotify or whatever like how do you know yeah. it's not going to just like break in two weeks oh, well it may do yeah. Uh, yeah as soon as that web page changes it'll break yeah, yeah exactly yeah. So the same as same as when you write any automated test you've got yep. that that scenario right um or, if, or uh, yeah, and, and the, I guess the so so when you write automated tests traditionally yep. uh, on browser tests, you'll have these scripts that you're running that that interact with the page. Yep. Um, the thing that runs the script uh, is literally an execution engine that goes, "I know how to do click. I'm going to look for the DOM node that you asked me to find, and then I'm going to send it a click event." Right? Yep. Um, you could have something that's going. Here's my script of what to do, yep. and and then I'm an intelligent agent that's then executing those commands, and it could sit there and whenever it tells the executor to do the command, it could go get an error back and go I can't find that DOM node, yeah, and and it could go oh well what should I do with that? It could right? use its fuzzy thinking, right? And maybe it goes well maybe maybe it's called something else now. Yeah, let's look at the yeah, page. Crazy. Let's look at the page and see what the most likely link is. Yeah, or, right. And in the same way that a human, if you if, if you were yeah running the test yourself, you would go, well, hang on, the login page is now called, you know, uh, or, or, or you might or, go, hey, Copilot, what, 
what's your suggestion? And then the co-pilot goes and you go, oh, <laughs> that works. Thanks, co-pilot. If they just like automated that, put that in the loop. Yeah, automatic loop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. that's crazy. But, you know, hey, at, that, at some point, you're not guaranteed that you're actually achieving the same goal you were originally achieving. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you might accidentally delete you, your account or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. If, if it looked like the thing that you, you know, that you were interacting with to do that, you know, was like if you picked the wrong button, you know, yeah, yeah. I think that button is that button in there instead. Um, but ideally, like with each of these things, their AI, AI is is able to give you confidence values yeah. on what it's doing, um, and inherently something in there is going, oh, that's good enough. That confidence value is high enough. I'll go for it. Um, and with the ling- large language models, it's unclear where that comes from, right? Because you're saying, show me a, give me the next word, give me the next word, give me the next word. Yeah. And and you're asking it to be a bit creative and like not pick the most common word frequently as well. Yeah. Um, so, so there's, what's the confidence? Like the confidence is that this is the right word to say after that word, right? It, it doesn't have the, the higher level abstraction of what's the, what's the thing, the concept I just explained and, yeah. and how, how, much faith should you have in that concept? I don't know. Like, yeah. there's that, that. There's some abstraction there that's missing. I think. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it's probably going to be solved by having another AI that's watching that AI and it's like <laughs> yeah. judging how how accurate it thinks it is, or you know, like it needs a scrum master of AIs. You know, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it needs the the career coach of AIs to. It's like it, it reminds me of that whole. You know, there's there's no programming problem that you can't solve without an extra level of abstraction, except for the, the problem of too many levels of abstraction. And there's no AI problem you can't solve without having another AI watching that AI and oh, telling it whether it's wrong, <laughs> giving oh, it feedback. God. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be a consultant when we're in, in that world, because that sounds yeah. like hell. <laughs> like, it, it, was, it was interesting with the R1, because um, I heard some stuff, I, can't remember who exactly it was. Might have been the strategy guy saying that they could. They were effectively bootstrapping a platform because, like, if you like Microsoft failed with the Windows, the sort of Windows Phone that came after the iPhone came out. Obviously, they spent years and years trying to do Windows Phone before, but they like just couldn't get it off the ground because they couldn't really get like third-party developers to develop apps. And like Facebook tried the same thing. Like they just. Yeah, right. Even with their backing, they just couldn't get it, the ecosystem to be created. Whereas this thing's like got a cheat code, which like, by the sounds of it, maybe just uses like web automation or something. It can already connect to all these things, so they don't they don't have to ask uh, yeah. Ocean or whatever like third party developer yeah. to develop an app for it. Like that's yeah. There's there's some um, there's some website somewhere where you can point it at any other website. And it will it will create an API for that website. Yeah, so right. That's it. Just like looks at the web pages and works out what they're for, and <laughs> yeah, it's goes. Crazy. Oh yeah, give me JSON like this. It would make, you know. Yeah, and right. Then you, can, you can automate the web, right? Or interact with any website it's, as an API. It's something that's like a script kitty, like that that will work for a number of weeks. But like, I'd never like submit a solution <laughs> like that as a professional programmer to. Sure. Yeah, I, I totally get your your fear. <laughs> but if they get enough success, it doesn't matter. And if they become such or platform this platform platforms like it get such yeah. traction, then people might be like at uh, Spotify. Oh shit, we just broke the Rabbit R one. Revert that commit. 
it's using its yeah. fuzzy um, interpreter web sure, yeah. thing. Absolutely. That's crazy. <laughs> I think. I think the. Yeah. So it depends how mission critical the thing is that's built on top of it, right? Yeah. So if your rabbit R one forgot how to order a taxi for a period of time. Yep. You know, you'd be frustrated, but it would start working again after you know a little while. Right? So many businesses in the past have been built on top of like scraping the web. Yeah, you know, like like you know, I'm going to grab all of the real estate listings off some website or something, right? Yep. And you know, and if if they change their website, you're busted. But yep. you're only busted until you fix it again, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and you just have some looping or some alarm that goes off pretty quickly that goes, yeah. oh, they've changed the site. Let's let's try again. Um, you know, and ideally those things are uh, asynchronous anyway, so you, you're grabbing data. But anyway, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that the it does it does. Um, there's there's lots of different ways you can think about like what would the web be in the future, right? And and the idea that you know every company should have an API so that you can interact with it in in other in programmatically rather than just by logging onto a web page and. Yeah, that'd be ideal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Exactly. It, it feels like um, I don't know how successful this was. I never really played with it, but I, I noticed that on the Mac operating system, right, every application effectively has a programming interface that you can. You oh, can with hit. VoiceOver, the accessibility. No, no. So there's like no. So for years, yeah. Like there's oh, like this automation, it. this automation engine thing that you can go um, launch my application, and you know, is that Apple uh, Apple Script? And then it's like short. Yeah, maybe. That's that's how I first started programming. Yeah, right. There's like I noticed that there's some automation tool that comes with the Mac operating system that allows you to just go, oh yeah, interact with that program I've got installed, and yep. it will go, okay, well these are the things you can do to that program. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I think that's AppleScript. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's it's just such a. It's a great idea. Uh, yeah, such a great idea, right? Like it's like every app has an API, right? Yeah. It's like that, it yeah. feels like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's what the web felt like 15 years ago. Like I remember like Flickr had an API and but then it's like yeah. they didn't want, it's like, no, you have to be forced to use whatever UI that the SaaS company's chosen to use. It's it, that pendulum swung away. But yeah, it's, right. It's ironic. It just seems ironic to me. Yeah, you could just have these like very precise, like well-defined JSON API yeah. or whatever. But now, yeah, yeah. no, that won't work. So we've got to have these web pages written in these web formats. You just warn, warned me about, you know, HTML yeah. and like the sort of like got all these warts. And then, and then to make that even work, then we need another fuzzy layer on top AI to like interpret it all. And then we get yeah. back the nice crisp precision that we want. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's crazy. It's a crazy, crazy. Oh, and it's, it all feels like such a uh, house of cards. Yeah, it's a giant hack. Yeah, it's a giant hack. All right. Well, I think I think that was a good episode. Um, yeah, I'm glad you glad you made it because uh, yeah, I was interested in your thoughts on last week. So yeah, cool. Awesome. Good talking to you, Patrick. We'll catch you again soon. Cool. See ya.